Please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we're still kind of in the introduction here. Um, I'm going to read from verses 8 through 15. And Paul's greeting the Romans. It's all still the greeting. And he's just so, he never missed this. We are, I'm going to continually say this. This is such a deeply doctrinal book. It teaches us so much about the things that we are to believe regarding Christ, sin, salvation. Deeply doctrinal, but deeply, deeply personal. You have to see Paul's love for the church and for these people come through. It's not just cold, hard doctrine, just the facts of predestination. It is, there are the facts and they're not cold and hard. It's not that. It's the love that Paul brings these doctrines in, like what they're placed in, right? That overarching love of God, and that comes through in Paul's love for the people, even as he speaks to them. And that's just true this morning as well. He's kind of just bursting with things to say. He has a true pastor's heart, and you need pastors and elders who love you, who love you so much that they'll serve you and, and, and in your best interest as Christians, and that means being with you, teaching you the truth. Yeah, telling you what hurts because they know that's what we need to hear, what we need to hear in order to be healed. Amen? Not just telling you what you want to hear. Any Joe Schmo can do that. But to love you and tell you the truth brings that love of Christ in. That's the depth. And Paul has that pastor's heart, care, loving, longing to see them. He wants to get there. So let's read um, chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. Paul says this, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I thank God for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I will may, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that longing, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles, for I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Amen. Father in heaven, let me do thank you and praise you. And I just pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would illuminate our hearts, give us understanding. And I pray that we would be engaged in your word this morning, that we would be transformed, Lord God, that, that we would be convicted in those areas that need to be, that we'd be encouraged, built up, and strengthened in our faith, motivated to live more and more for Christ and less and less for ourselves. I pray, Lord, that you increase in our hearts and our lives as we decrease. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just bursting with things to say. Look, Paul hasn't met most of these people, but you know what? They're not strangers. That's just just an observation in the beginning here. As Christians, even before we get to the, the three points of the sermon or the message, understand this. This is the bond that we have in Christ. They They never met. But if you're a Christian this morning, understand this. We share this in common. All of us have been bought. 
by the Lord Jesus Christ with his blood, and we have been brought by his Holy Spirit into the kingdom, into a saving relationship with Christ. All of us at one time, apart from Christ, were lost. That means spiritually we're lost, doing things our own way, trying to figure it out, seeking what we could do to try and get along, do better, whatever it is. But we were lost spiritually. We were lost and on our way to hell. And now we are found. You know what it means to be lost if you're a Christian, no? And you know what it means to be found, to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Again, spiritually, this stuff didn't make much sense to us. We manipulated, turned it, made it into our own thing. Now as he opened our eyes, oh, we're alive. I see my sin. I see his salvation. I know what I was and I know who I am in Christ because of what he's done for his people. Amen? We're in Christ. We were dead. We were blind. We couldn't see the truth. Now we see. Now we see with his lens. We see through his word, by his spirit. We know the truth. We were hostile to God and now we're reconciled. Understand this. You were, we'll talk about this more when we get to Romans 5. We were enemies of God. Don't think you're just kind of neutral or passive. Oh, God and Jesus is just all right with me. No, 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 no. We're enemies of him. We're disobeying him. That's a big deal. We're walking in our sin. We were, we were hostile, and now we're reconciled. We were on our way to hell. Yes, hell. And now we have a place waiting for us in heaven in Jesus Christ. You know that if, this morning if you're a Christian. Paul says that to them. I've longed, I thank my God for Jesus Christ because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. I'm thankful for you Christians. Even though I haven't met you, I know that we're bought with a price, brought into the kingdom. It's the same blood that saves all Christians. It's not this way for some and that way for others. All of us have been purchased by the same blood that was shed at Calvary. Amen? We're under that. That's what brings us together in Christ. That same love of Christ. He loves us with that same love that brought him to the cross. Do you understand that? How much he loves us? That he would die for us? Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever take be flippant with that. That same love, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts, who opens our eyes, who gives us life. Amen? We share the same inheritance. It's waiting for us. We praise God for that. All true Christians know this. We're, we might be strangers, but we're not estranged from God. And, and we know there's, there's a bond, there's a connection that can't be broken between us. Paul's writing, he's never met these. And he said, I love you so much. I can't wait to see you. I want to share this with you because we're one in Christ. Amen? We, we see this in practical ways all the time. If you meet two strangers, say we meet two strangers, one who's not a Christian and one who is a Christian. The one who's an unbeliever, you know, you'll have cordial conversations. How you doing today? You know, so what do you do for a living? And, you know, oh, the weather's nice out there. Oh, I like this sport and that sport. And we have conversations with them. But when you meet an unbeliever that you've never known before, that's a lot different conversation, isn't it? Once you know that you're Christians, it's like, yes. So, so, so what's your testimony? Tell me how the Lord saved you. It's a completely different conversation. We're not talking about the weather or the ball game. We're talking about Christ and our salvation in him. Amen? That's We're not strangers. We love each other. We know each other. There's that connection between us who are truly converted in Christ. So that's it. That comes through. This whole spirit comes through as Paul is writing uh, this letter. And this morning it comes through in his priorities. And we're just going to look at three kind of pastoral priorities. The, the leaders, and it should be indicative of all of us as Christians, but especially as pastors, as those leaders, as we set that example of Christ. And there's three things that come through in priorities. Number one is prayer, for sure. 
You have your little outline. I don't make it real extensive or deep, but just kind of just give you those points so you could fill in the gaps. Uh, number one, prayer. Number two, his plan, his purpose to come to them and teach them. That's a big deal, to come and teach them. And number three, the preaching of the gospel, which is preeminent. That's the, that's the most important thing. So let's check this out. It's Paul's longing to come to them. The first thing he says, verse 9 and 10, for God is my witness. Listen, I'm telling you, the Lord knows this. Right? I'm not teasing. I'm not just saying this. The Lord knows the one whom I serve in my spirit, the God, in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul's dependence on prayer. He praying to come to see them in this particular time to, in part, give, in part, a gift, continue to mention. But it shows the absolute necessity of prayer and the priority of prayer in our lives as Christians. It just does. Listen, man, above all else, above all else, when we pray and we sincerely pray, that shows a sincere love for God. It just does. You know that you're we're close to the Lord as we sincerely pray. So it shows that love for and dependence upon God. That's what prayer does. So you know when you're praying, man, you're showing that. I love you so much. I'm looking to you, Lord, not myself, not others. I'm, I'm coming before your throne of grace, and I'm praying to you. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it acknowledge my love for you and my dependence upon you. Teach me, show me, lead me, guide me, direct me. Answer my prayer, Lord, please. Right? That's what it does, and he prays that way. And our prayer also keeps us, it keeps us close to him. It keeps us dependent upon him. It keeps us encouraged in him. And it, and it does empower us in our lives to live as we ought to. That's what prayer does, consistent prayer. That's why we pray. That's why we need to pray. That's why we struggle. Even when we struggle with prayer, we got to keep going through that struggle because I know most of us do. It's tough to pray and maintain that consistent, deep prayer life. I love the people that just have that. They're just prayer. They're the prayer warriors. Oh, that we would all be like that. Amen. I know if you're a Christian, you want to be more prayerful in that way, more dependent on prayer because it keeps us close to him. It shows us our dependence on him. It encourages us and empowers us. Listen, he speaks to us through his word. We read his word. This is where he tells us about himself, who we are, what he expects from us, what the, what the world is like, so on and so forth. He speaks to us through his word. We communicate to him through prayer. What a gift he's given to us. You know, we don't write anything down and send it to God. How do we communicate? We pray. We come before his throne of grace. So we do pray. And, 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 and Paul's praying here. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that the Lord will make a way for me to get there. That's a dependence on prayer. Paul's like, I'm just making my plans, and I know this time next year I'm going to be there. Only if the Lord wills. And praying to that end. Just want to, just want you to be soaked in this. Even if you know this, understand this. This is how we communicate with Him. How we pray, how we show our adoration, how we worship Him through prayer. God Almighty, you've created all things and we love you. We come before confessing our sins. We come before Him with thanksgiving, right? We come before him with our desires, with our needs, with our hurt. We pray to him. Prayer brings us to the throne of grace, as it were. Right? We come before the throne of grace by our prayer. And when you fail to pray, or when you're off in your prayer, what's your life like? What's your spiritual? Don't you feel it, don't you? You know that distance. I don't care if you're reading the word. I don't care if you're doing all your activities. I don't care if you're here. I don't care if you're there. If you're not in prayer... There's going to be a distance between you and the Lord, even for that season. You know it. We know it. We know it from experience. How dry we get. We need to be in prayer. 
There's no intimacy with the Lord when we're not in prayer, even in our understanding of the word. Paul's praying, man. That's number one. The pastor prays. He prays, not for himself, not just for himself, not just for his family, but for his congregation. And Paul wants to be with them. And he's saying, Lord, please bring me to them. Make a way for me to be there. And also check this out. He says, he prays without ceasing, I mention you. Isn't that cool? Without ceasing. It's not, listen, that doesn't mean every single second he's praying for the Romans every time he's praying. It's not, that's not necessarily the, the idea. Is this is an attitude of prayer. It's, it's a disposition towards prayer. Every situation, every circumstance, I'm just kind of like a walking prayer person. It's, it's not just a set time of rigid prayer. Oh, it's three o'clock. It's prayer time. Let's go face the east and pray. No, I mean, you, you could do that. And there are times when we have said prayer. We're going to have a prayer meeting on this particular night. There's nothing wrong with that. But you individually as Christians and we as Christians have to have that, just that disposition of prayer. That we're praying all the time. That we're, that we're living lives cognizant of God in our lives every moment of every day. So if you're walking, you can be praying. If you're driving, if you're in the shower, you're praying. As situations arise, as things come to our mind, as we encounter different situations, we are praying. It's praying without ceasing. It's an attitude of prayer. It's a dependence on prayer. I'm encountering another person. I want to speak the gospel to them. I'm praying in my heart, Lord, please give them receptive hearts. Please give me the words to say to this person that they may be drawn to you. So there's a, that constant dependent attitude of prayer, and we need to work on that continually. Paul prays all the time for his people. Ephesians 1.16, just a few examples. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer, Ephesians, those at Ephesus, not just the Romans, but all the Christians. First uh, Thessalonians 2 and 3, I give thanks to God always for you, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying and I'm thankful that you love the Lord. And and even in my prayers at times, I'm thankful for this congregation, for your dedication to the Lord, to to one another. The Lord is working amongst us and I give thanks for that. And pray that that would continue, that we're engaged, that we, we grow in our knowledge, and our love for, and living for Christ and for each other. That's a constant prayer of mine for us as a congregation. He goes on, Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So we're praying all the time, and Paul's praying. And we see that priority of prayer in the Christian life and for the pastor. He prayed for them, for an opportunity to be with them. And what was the reason? Let's move on, verse 10, or verse 11. For I long to see you, that I made in part to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He couldn't wait to see them. He wanted to be faced. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So he prayed. But then he also planned and purposed to go to them. That's number two, the priority of teaching, or the priority towards teaching, if you're if you're keeping the outline. This was his plan, this was his purpose, to go with them, to teach them. And notice, he already does that as he writes his letters. There's, you're, you're teaching in that way, but nothing can, can replace necessarily being present 
when you teach. Paul wanted to be with them. He wanted it like we are face to face. You know how important that is? I think we're grasping that just a little bit in our day and age. How many people are zoomed out? You're just sick of Zoom. You're just tired of Zoom. You just want to, you know, you just want to see people. And, you know, most of us anyway, I know there's probably some of you that still love Zoom because you're not pretty antisocial. You don't want to be around and you're fine with Zoom. But for the most, Paul wanted to be present with them. And every pastor, every teacher wants to be present with the people. Let's sit down and have coffee. Let's sit down in a Bible study. Let's be here before the Lord together, being there face to face, imparting that. So and he says, the, the purpose is to impart uh, a spiritual gift, some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Uh, don't get all esoteric here, you know, oh, what's that gift? What's that particular gift? Listen, to impart means to share, to give. I'm, I'm pouring this into you. I want you to know this. So, so he's coming to impart uh, a gift. It's, in the context here, it's not an extraordinary gift. It's not like Paul saying, oh man, I gotta, you, you wait till I get there because I gotta show you this one. I gotta show you this gift. It's not necessarily that he's saying that. He's really not saying that. In the context, the idea of sharing some spiritual gift, being mutually edified, is the idea of simply teaching them, teaching them the doctrines, imparting wisdom, discerning their gifts, deepening their knowledge, strengthening their faith through the word. That's really it. It's not like, oh, I have this special secret gift, and when I see you, I'll give that to you. I'm coming to you to impart knowledge. I'm coming to you to give you the word. I'm coming to you to strengthen your faith. And we see that. That's kind of the the tenor in in Romans, the, the letter itself. right? But he's longed to be with them, establishing them, on sound, solid foundation of the word. That's every pastor's, every good preacher's purpose is to, every good teacher's purpose is to have you established on the word of God, solid, the truth, foundational. It's not coming for simply a meet and greet. You know, I just want to see you guys. I can't wait to, there's part of that in there for sure, but it's not some glorified vacation. He's coming with the purpose and intention of imparting a sit down in the word of God, teaching, giving himself giving his knowledge, the knowledge of the word, so that they may grow in the Christian faith. That, again, the contents of this letter shows that. A good teacher wants to be with you and just pours his life into you, pours it out, right? Not distant. That's why your pastors need to be. That's why your elders need to be available. That's why they need to be accessible. That's why you need to be able to sit down with them, not some just dude over there or this lay person over there. There's a time and place for that. But you need access to your elders. You need access to your pastor. You need access to your shepherd on many, many levels, right? Because we're shepherding you. But you can't have these untouchable pastors who are way out there or exalted in some way. Never, ever, ever do that. Never exalt a man above that. Respect the office. Respect him insofar as he's biblical and teaching you. But never put him up on a pedestal and say, oh, if I could just meet with that man. Oh, that man's there. There's no, only Jesus Christ is up there. Rapish? It's a big deal for us. Paul wants to come to them and share to them. It's not simply for that, a meet and greet, but to pour into their lives. Right? And that's what pastors and shepherds do. Why? So that they might be mutually encouraged. Now, here's the, check this, listen to this. To be mutually encouraged, what he's saying in this way, it's not necessarily that Paul's going to learn something from them theologically. It's not that he won't. He very well may. It's not like, hey, I'm going to teach you and you're going to teach me. That's not necessarily the, the import of what he's saying. What he's saying here, from a pastor's perspective, from a teacher's perspective, that's 
That's what you have to understand. To be mutually encouraged is this. You're encouraged, right? You're encouraged when you start learning about the Bible, aren't you? When, when you get it, when this teaching makes sense to you, then you're encouraged in that. I'm growing. Oh, I see it. I see what he's saying. I understand this teaching a little better. So it clicks in you. You're encouraged by that. You want to go on. You want to dig deeper. You understand. You're soaking it up. You're bringing it in. You can't get enough. You're engaged in the Word. Hours go by like minutes, you know, when you're in the Word. Oh, it's that long? It's already 2 o'clock? Man, it just seems like I've been here for a minute in the Word. Some of you know that. We know that, right? There's times like that, and that's encouraging to you. You're excited. You're enthusiastic about the faith and about the Word. Amen. As a teacher, as a pastor, when you see that, when you see that person on fire for the Lord, that's encouragement. So, Paul, I'm coming to encourage you and see your enthusiasm for the Word. And when I see that in you, that encourages me. Not that you're necessarily teaching me doctrine. Again, not, not that I can't learn from you, but from a teacher's perspective. You know that if you're a teacher. Doesn't that encourage you when your students are learning and growing? Yes. That's the point. That's, that's a, man, it's such a difference when you see that. As opposed to when it's like pulling teeth to get you to learn, like, oh my, you know, they're so reluctant, or you're, you're just kind of fading away, fading off, drifting away, like some of you are right now. I could, right? Obviously uninterested. Ah, oh, that's terrible. That's not an encouragement for the pastor. But when he sees you learning, when he sees you hungry, when he sees you asking questions, that's an encouragement. When you have a teachable spirit, Right? When, when you come willing, that, that's, Paul says, we're mutually encouraged. You're encouraged because you're learning and growing. I'm encouraged because you're learning and growing in that way. That's an encouragement to me. Ask any pastor, ask any teacher, what's most encouraging to them? What's their greatest joy? Besides seeing a person come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's seeing a person on fire, learning, growing, and then doing. That's mutual encouragement. And that's what Paul wants to, to share as he gets to them. See the love, how he wants to be with them. He hasn't even gotten into the deep doctrinal teaching yet. That'll come uh, next week, starting next week, actually. The third and final thing, um, what he does, it's the priority of preaching the gospel. He says, I'm under, verse 14, I'm under obligation. I'm obliged to. It's not a choice. Like, you know, you think, oh, you guys could do this or not. If you're truly called by the Lord, and this should be true of you too as a Christian, you should, it shouldn't be a choice to you whether you're going to share the gospel or not. You are under obligation to everybody to preach the gospel. That's why he says the barbarians, the Scythians, the Greeks, the Jews, Every single person. We don't distinguish. We don't discriminate when it comes to the gospel. Why? Because everybody needs Jesus Christ. Everybody needs to be saved. I'm not just going to preach to those people over here or those people over there. Everybody needs Christ. That's it. The word. The gospel. Right? Everybody. That's what, so, so there's an obligation. That's why people say, another thing like with pastors, if they sit there and charge you out the, you know, wazoo to, to come and preach for them or do something, for them, don't do, don't get them. I know, you know, help supply. The, we do this for free. We, we're under obligation to preach it, right? 
It's, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm looking for the best opportunity here, the best opportunity there. I'm pre- we need to preach the word because that's what we do. That's who we are. And that filters off to all Christians. We're under obligation. It's an obligation. It's not just something, I mean, you can make your choice to do it or not to do it. But in the eyes of the Lord, it's an obligation. As he gives you opportunity, you need to be preaching the gospel of Christ. That's how everything changes. That's right. That's the top priority because all the time, every time, it starts right here with the gospel because that's what breaks through. That's what breaks us. That's what gives us new life. That's what changes everything. Amen? If you're a Christian this morning, that gospel of Christ, before you were lost and now you found. You were dead, now you're alive. Amen? It's the gospel. That's the source of true and lasting change in relationship with the Lord. That's it. That's why it's that. It, everything hinges on the gospel. And on Christ. It's always true. But listen, and I'm going to make a little application to the times we're living in today because it's important. It's always true that the gospel is top priority. But I think we're keenly aware of it in times like this. You can try anything you want today. I'm, I'm, listen, people, we're living in very desperate. And I'm not trying to be sensational in any way. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to frighten you. We shouldn't be frightened because we have the Lord. But we are living in times of real darkness, real spirit. You could feel it. You could feel it like a weight on us. Desperate times, foreboding times. People say, oh, we're getting back to normal. And it's nice to see everybody at the concerts and everybody at the games. But if you're a Christian, you know right under the surface, it's not all right. It's not normal. There's something going on right now. And at the heart of it, it's spiritual battle. I know it comes out in the politics. I know it comes out in the way things are in the world. But underneath that, it's a spiritual battle. And Christians need to be aware of that. You need to understand something right now, guys. You need to understand that that right now, the day that we're living in today, when you go out of this place, we're living in a time where objective truth does not matter. It just doesn't matter. There is objective truth, God's standard, but it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is my truth. It's relative. It's postmodern, post-postmodern. You know? Rationale, we're living in a day, Christian, where you're challenged that, that way. Because who are you to tell me that I can't be this or that? Who are you? See, this is why we need the gospel. People just say, you can't even reason with people today. There's no rationality. So in the past, we had to reason with people, reason them into the faith. Man, you just got to preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. That's it. And you kind of see that right now. That's always been the answer. But right now, it's coming through more than ever. Rationality is not rooted in reality today. You understand that? You have to understand that. That's why you could ask the question, what is a woman? And you can't get an answer. You can't get a straight answer from people. No, I'm serious. And we're going to watch that um, video at the Two Lies on Friday. There'll be an announcement on that. We want all of you to come if you can. But th- this is this is where we find ourselves as Christians. We're, we're in a generation, especially the 40 and under, that knows very little of or nothing at all about God, or at least the God of the Bible, the true God. There are, I know the Lord has his remnant, obviously, but generally speaking. So when you live in a place like that, you don't have people who care about God. They don't care about what God says. Right? They want God to do what they want him to do, and if he doesn't, then he's a mean, nasty, intolerant God, and why should we even serve him anyway? You understand? This is the reality. This is why the gospel is so important. This is why Paul says, I'm coming to preach the gospel. I'm under obligation to all of you. That's what transforms. Like that song says, 
You can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God is going to... We've been running on for a long time. We just have. And there's no fear of God. No fear of God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7. Listen to this. This is important. This is the foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, they despise wisdom and they hate instruction. Proverbs 14.27 says this. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When he talks about the fear of the Lord, it's not this like, oh, I'm just so afraid of God and, you know, oh. it's, it's not that. It is a reverence for God, a deep, deep reverence for him, that he is almighty God, right? A deep and abiding respect for God. It's the fear of the Lord acknowledges his authority. Even if you don't know him, people know him in their heart of hearts, right? And we lived in a day and age in the past where there was that presence of the Lord through the church and through Christ. We don't have that much anymore. So there's no fear of the Lord. There's no acknowledging God. People don't have that restraint anymore. They're just going to do what they want, and even turn things upside down, actually. Right? The fear of the Lord respects his authority, his power, his holiness, that he is God and you are not. That he is a creator and you're just a creature. Even unbelievers didn't get that, but you get to a certain point in a certain time in certain societies when they get so far away from God that that's not even present anymore. I'm here to tell you we're there. Whether you know it or not, we are there. So what do we do as Christians? What's the answer? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The disdain, the fear, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, the disdain for God leads to all kinds of foolishness and all kinds of nonsense, man. What are we seeing in our world today? Foolishness and nonsense. Things that, I mean, I mean that in the most, uh, the most strict way that I can convey that word nonsense, not just, you know, oh, that's not, I mean, nonsense, nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. It goes against not just God's objective standards, but even God's nature, the, 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 the natural. It goes beyond that. So it's, the disdain for God leads to all kinds of foolishness and nonsense as well as dangerous situations. Because then people act without restraint. I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it. There's no consequences, no God. They act without wisdom. They act without grace. They act without mercy. It's a denial of reality. That's where we're, we are at here. My feelings, my feelings, my subjective feelings inform my decisions. Not God's objective standard, but my feelings and what I want to do and who I think I am and what I want when I want it. That's what, that's what makes reality real. Not God's standard. It's like in the time of the judges. No doubt. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right. Where? In his own eyes. In his own eyes. And you know what that means? The idea is there, they rejected. The, the king was God's vice regent, right? He represented God. Without that king, it's, it's a rejection of God and his authority. So if there's no God and no authority of God, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you're not going to tell me different because this is how I feel, because this is who I am. And who's God to tell me that I'm not this when I feel this way? We're here, man. We are here. Force compliance to this foolishness. We're living in that day. Force compliance. If you don't acknowledge it, it's not, you can't even have a differing opinion in many regards and in many areas that we live in today. You have to comply or you're labeled or you're canceled or you're, or, or worse than that, right? You can't have 
a reasonable argument. You're not allowed to, to, to have that freedom to disagree. So you have to go along. And don't think you can just kind of swim away. You can for a while, but one of these days you're going to have to make a decision in your workplace, right? Wherever you, wherever you're in your school, wherever you are, you can kind of skate for a while, but one of these days it's going to come down to you. And then what are you going to do? You're going to capitulate? You're going to give in to the world's way? Are you going to take a stand? Look at the uh, one little example. The, 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 the players who refuse to put the gay pride on their shirt. Do you know about that? The Tampa Bay players? Anybody hear about that? There's a storm brewing. There's a controversy. These guys are, 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 you know, being called all kinds of names and, and trying to be canceled and so on and so forth because they refuse to wear gay pride patch on their uniform. Now, you're a Christian. Would you do that? Would you acknowledge that knowing what you know about Christ? See, we need to be ready for this. There, there are, there are young female athlete, athletes who cannot object to men participating in their sport without being canceled, without being harassed, without being almost put in prison. This is where we're living today. That's why the gospel needs to be preached. That's what changes it. You can change the policy. You can try to do this, do that. There has to be a heart change on that level. Do you understand? Because now we come into conformity with God's way and not man's way. This is antithetical to God. We're living in a day where there's massive, massive partiality Massive indoctrination on every level. Massive corruption in our institutions. So if you think about the government, you think about education, you think about media, you think about the civil authorities, you think about the sports, everywhere. It encompasses everywhere. Massive in that way. When you're teaching little kids in kindergarten that they can be what they want to be, and don't tell mommy and daddy if you feel like a girl if you're a boy. Right? We're indoctrinating. It's going on. What's needed most is what always has been most needed. And that is the proclamation of the gospel. That's what changes lives. That's what transforms societies eventually. That's why even in our nation for the longest time, there was that influence of Christianity upon it. And that's why people flock to come here for the most part. Never perfect, never amazed, you know, never this idealistic place. I'm not trying to say that, but it was founded and grounded on biblical principles. Understand? Not anymore. And this is what you're seeing. You're seeing the chaos. You're seeing the the um, inversion of things. The Isaiah 5:20, calling evil good and good evil. Not just saying, you know, evil's good. It's okay to be bad in this way. But even being righteous according to God's word is the evil thing. So now you're the bad guy, Christian. You're the intolerant one. You're the hurtful one. You're the mean one. You're the one who needs to be canceled. You're the you're the one who needs to lose everything you have because of your attitude. That's what's going on. Right? You know that. What's going to change as the gospel? And it can't be these silly messages. It can't be these silly messages about how God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Right? Just well, look what happened at Joel Osteen's church last week, if you remember. Do you remember the protesters who were there and they stripped down to, to their underwear in Joel's church? Joel is the nicest guy in the world. He's the least controversial person you ever meet. And I say this with all seriousness, he doesn't even preach the actual gospel, okay? I mean that. And yet, you see what's happening there in church like that, right? Those disruptions that are going on there. No more half measures of the seeker-friendly church giving into the world its ways, its standards. The seeker-friendly church 
is helpless in the face of the darkness right now. They don't know how to stand up. They're too worried about getting people in, getting them excited, building their church, building their brand, telling people, you know, Jesus is cool, Jesus is your friend, and they don't have the heart of the gospel preached to them. And they don't know what it means to live as a Christian in this world. They count the cost and take up your cross. The seeker-friendly church wants you to be happy all the time so they can build their church. So they could take their marketing survey. Oh, you like this? We'll play more music. Oh, you like that? We'll do that for you. Instead of proclaiming the actual gospel itself. You don't like sin? You don't like the word sin? Okay, you make bad mistakes. You make bad life choices that have consequences. You don't like hell? Well, there's a bad place that we never talk about because God wants you to be in heaven. You understand? That's what's going on. How are you going to stand up against the devil in the world when we're teaching like this in the church? That's why so many churches like dominoes, boom, 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 they're falling. They're falling. No more half measures. It has to be the pure, unadulterated, undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I came to preach the gospel to you. And the gospel is not just sharing. I'm not just sharing the message. In a sense, you're sharing. But it's not simply sharing. It's not simply recommending, hey, try Jesus, man. You might like him, you might not. It's not that. That's not preaching the gospel. It's not trying to persuade people Please, Jesus wants you to say yes to him. Jesus wants you to come in. I mean, there's some persuasion in certain ways, but but that's not the heart of the gospel. It's not promising that everything's going to be better. Become a Christian today, and you'll have it all tomorrow. No. No, the gospel proclamation is proclaiming the truth. It's proclaiming the truth in no uncertain terms. It's confronting people with their problem, and their problem is sin. And it's exhorting them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the solution. Who is the solution to our sin? Apart from which, you remain under the judgment of God and will give an account and you will bear the consequences for all eternity in hell. That's the gospel. The good news is that Christ died for sinners like us. And it doesn't matter. He says, I'm under obligation to all kinds of people. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how hard you've tried. It doesn't matter how badly you have failed. Forgiveness is in Jesus Christ alone. Because we are sinners by nature and by choice. Do we have Psalm 51? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in my sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. By nature and by choice, every time we sin, We show that choice that we're sinners. The manifestation of sin in our days, you see that inward rebellion on the outside. Just that disdain and outright hatred for God. They're bold in their sin. And it's even that inversion we talked about in Isaiah 520. It's unrestrained. But the good news is, is God sent his son to seek and save sinners like you and like me. Amen. Praise God. To secure the salvation of his people. How did he do that? Here's the message. He did that. Jesus did that by living a life, a sinless life, a life of sinless perfection that you could never live. See that? If he left us alone, if he didn't come, we would all be in hell, rightly, under God's judgment. But Christ loved enough. Father loved enough to send his son to live the life that we could never live. Not one time. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. We sin every second, right? In thought, word, and deed. One sin's enough to send you to hell. We're already born sinners. How good do you have to be? How good do you have to be to stay out of hell? Perfecto. You can't do it. That's why Jesus came. Perfectly keeping that law. Tempted in every way yet without sin. He did it by taking upon himself the punishment that our sin deserves at the cross. He substituted himself. The wrath that we've earned, he took upon himself on Calvary. Right? 
He substituted himself for us. He did it by dying the death that we deserve to die as a penalty for our sins. He did it by being raised on the third day for our justification, as we sang earlier, and that, that resurrection shows, yes, it's all true. It absolutely validates everything. Among other things, the resurrection does. It, one thing that it primarily does is show us that he said he would be raised from the dead. That means he is who he said he was and did what he said he would do. And you need to believe and trust in him even today for the forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel of Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that one believes and is justified. With the mouth he confesses and is saved. So faith comes by hearing and that by the word of Christ. Amen. In this life, to be saved means that it changes everything about us. It changes our worldview. Again, we've gone from being dead to being alive. Now we see things from God's perspective, from his word, everything, all the time. Do you do that? Is that, is that, is that the filter for your worldview? Is it God's word? Is that the basis? If you're born again, it is. If you're in Christ, it is. Everything changes. Your perspective changes. Your purpose changes. Your allegiance change. Your actions change. You're not self-focused anymore. You're Christ-centered. You're not arbitrary. You're objective. You have an objective moral standard now. You're truly converted individually. As we're converted, that creates true transformation in society. Like I said earlier, we were a land of laws, of principles, of justice, of righteousness, of right, of wrong, right? We, we, had, we had a law and order. We were salt and light in the world. That's, that's how societies are transformed. But not only in this life do we have benefits, also eternal life. We have the hope that heaven holds. That's our main hope, isn't it? We're struggling through this life. We're getting through this life. And we need to be active in this life. We need to be engaged in this life. We don't just go to a mountain or out in the deserts. We're not monastics. We're here. We're in the world. We're fighting the good fight of faith. And we're being faithful to Christ. But where's our reward, man? It's beyond this place. <laughs> That's why the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. I love Jesus, and I'm going to do everything to serve him while I'm here. But to die is what? Gain. Why? Because now I'm in his presence. It's over. That's what we look forward to. It's not pie in the sky. It is the promise, the sure promise and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, what I have not told you. What I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you will be also. Relief. Amen. Praise God. And then one more, Matthew 25. The king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's our hope. That's the glorious hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul going there to preach the gospel, to transform hearts individually, lives, families, and societies through the gospel of Christ. That's it. Prayer. Being present. Proclaiming the gospel. That's Christianity in a nutshell. It changes lives, transforms society. If you don't believe in Christ, then today is the day of salvation. Confess your sins, repent, believe, and receive Christ and live for him. If you're a believer in Christ, then you also need to pray 
You do. Not just the pastors or leaders. You as well. And you need to be present in teaching as God gives you opportunity. And you need to be proclaiming the gospel of Christ as he makes a way for us to do that. Are you doing that? Are you willing? You need to be ready because here we are.